This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. There is a reason that I have featured more than one real estate professional on this show over the last month, and that's because real estate is the single most reliable, most surefire vehicle to wealth. And regardless of what happens with e-commerce, you know, cryptocurrency, or the stock market, there's simply nothing that compares to owning your own physical properties that provide you monthly cash flow on the regular. In today's episode, I interviewed Jennifer Beatles, who is a highly accomplished multifamily investor and coach. And along with her husband, she specializes in what's called value-add multifamily. Jennifer owns 280 units in eight different states, so she definitely knows what she's talking about. With over 15 years of experience in the real estate industry, Jennifer has deep knowledge with many investing strategies, including BRRR, value-add multifamily, build-to-rent, and out-of-state investing. She also has her consulting company called Addicted to ROI, where Jennifer helps hundreds of investors build and scale their own rental portfolios using her proven framework for achieving financial freedom. Look, in this episode, you're going to hear her outline how she got started on her journey, what her approach looks like today, and the best way to go about scaling your real estate portfolio in today's weird market where interest rates are high, yet where it remains as perfect a time as any to get started in real estate investing, which is why this project is my number one priority over the next six months as I look to acquire my first unit. So I will be coming back to Jennifer for help when I do, no doubt. And after listening to this amazing conversation, you will be too. Okay, guys, here is Jennifer Beatles on multifamily investing in 2022 and beyond. All right. So Jennifer, I know you've, you've really been at it for, for a while now. You are a, a, an experienced investor, um, having been acquiring properties for over 15 years. Um, talk to me a little bit about, I guess, your initial approach when you first started and then how your strategy has, has changed since then. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, I certainly don't consider myself an expert. <laughs> I feel like uh, I've learned a lot o- over the years and through every single deal, I still learn something. I think that's the beauty of this business that's ever changing. There's always you know, new things happening and new things uh, to learn. So that's been really exciting for me. But yeah, um, when I first got started, my husband and I were doing a lot of flipping, uh, spec home building as well. Um, and then a little bit of just like dabbling, I would say. Um, We probably didn't take it seriously, take investing seriously until uh, I would say like mid 2010. Uh, Prior to that, between 2007 to 2010, it was like dabbling. It was kind of like flipping on the side. Um, Yeah, again, like spec home building. Uh, We didn't really know what we were doing, but we're also 21 years old at the the time. So like as a young 20 something, you just don't know what you're going to do with life. And so uh just yeah i kind of tried everything um and then 2010 we realized like we really want to take this seriously and so at that point we focused more on uh doing the burr strategy so we were buying um one to four unit properties at that point uh buying like the ugly stuff in the nicer neighborhoods fixing it up uh renting it out and then refinancing and recouping our initial investment 
Um, and so we pretty much stayed investing locally. So at the time we were living just north of Seattle, about an hour outside the city, and we're pretty much just investing in our backyard and had built up a nice portfolio. My husband was able to retire. Uh, it was in January, 2015 that he quit his job and just pretty much dedicated his time and efforts on our portfolio. And then uh, there was a pivotal moment. We were having a barbecue uh, Memorial Day weekend, all of our friends and family over at our house and really, you know, enjoying ourselves. Uh, we were like living in our dream home at that time. And my husband gets a call and the septic at one of our properties was starting to back up through the bathtub. And it was basically like the tenants are like, hey, this is a big issue. You've got to take care of this, you know, major, major issue. So my husband stopped what he was doing, left the barbecue, went to go address the situation, was there for a couple hours trying to find plumbers and everything. So by the time he gets home, everyone had left and he comes inside and he was like, oh my gosh, we have all these investment properties, but we like literally have no freedom, right? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> so uh, I looked at him, he looked at me and I'm like, okay, two things. One is we need to get out of the operations. And then two is we need to get out of our own way. And I think the way that we do that is we go out of state. And so at that point we had like all of our contacts locally. I was finding deals. He was kind of like operating everything. And so the idea of going like outside of our comfort zone and outside of our market was super, super scary. Um, but now that's pretty much all we do. We buy sight unseen when we're out of the country, we own properties in eight different states right now. And so it's just, yeah, it's a complete like 180 from when we first got started. Can you go into some of the specifics about um, the types of properties that you were looking for and that you started acquiring uh, at the outset and then how your approach shifted, um, you know, like, five, six, seven, eight years in and mm -hmm. um, the, your your approach to financing and to buying the properties as well. Like how did that change? Yeah, so, you know, the downside when you're buying one to four unit properties is uh, you have to qualify personally, right? And so you basically have two jobs. One is you need to like acquire properties and do all of the work that it takes to get that. But then you still need to like have a job and make money. <laughs> Otherwise the bank's not gonna give you a loan. And so, um, so yeah, in the beginning it was like, okay, you know, my husband would take turns buying properties. This is before he retired uh, in his name. And then I would take turns buying them in my name because with conventional, you can get 10 loans individually, 20 loans as a couple. Um, but again, unfortunately it's like, gosh, the brain damage that you go through to buy these residential properties and like, give them your tax return, your bank statements, like pay stubs, LOEs for like why you lived in an apartment complex five years ago. Like it's insane the amount of paperwork that they that they asked for. And so uh, when we when we pivoted to investing out of state, we also said, okay, what what could we do to make this just easier? Right. And so we started going into commercial properties. So small apartment complexes was like the next kind of level of comfort for us. And so when we get got into commercial, it was interesting. It was like, you know, the bank said, OK, we need a scheduled real estate own, personal financial statement, rent roll for the property and a T12. And I'm like, you don't need all my pay stubs. You don't need like all of these things that the conventional lenders wanted. And it was such an easy process. And we just realized, you know, cause up until that point, it was like for, uh, yeah, like the first seven years, everything was pretty much residential. And, uh, and then it was like, oh, this is the easy way. <laughs> Let's just focus on commercial properties and, um, and just scale up that way. And then, and then I think also from like 
operational drag, right? Like, gosh, these residential properties are so tough. You know, if you even if you have a single family home, if the tenant moves out, you have, you know, 100% vacancy, right? And so you have to go in, rehab that, maybe it's down for two months, and then you move a tenant in. The other downside too with conventional properties is basically the value is only ever gonna be worth what the other uh, residential properties are in the neighborhood. Whereas with multifamily, you can pretty much force appreciation. Force yeah. appreciation through improving the NOI. So you raise rents and immediately your property goes up in value. Whereas you don't get that luxury with, with uh, residential. How do you think about raising rents? Cause I'm glad you, you brought that point up. Um, in addition to kind of just the, the normal market value of, of the property, as well as the location, are you guys getting in your uh, your your multifamily units, and are you renovating them up front? Are you are you going above and beyond? Like, how much work are you putting in in order to do that, or are you just raising them, you know, ad hoc and seeing what what works? Yeah, it was very deal dependent. Um, we have some deals that we bought this year where we were expecting to renovate, maybe do some like interior updates and we just raised the rents and the tenants stayed <laughs> and that works too. And so it's really great when that gets, when that happens. Um, yeah, like we bought a 14 unit in St. Louis just a couple months ago. And, um, you know, there's a couple units that, that we could turn um, and get much higher rents, but instead we just raised the rents and again, the tenants stay, uh, it improves the property value. And so that really, you know, works as well. Um, but some units, I mean, we've got uh, 12 units in Kentucky that we just closed on and we're pretty much gonna go in and renovate every single unit. I think just the tenants are paying like 750 and fair market rents are 1200. So there's also like, you know, there, there's a gap in how much tenants are willing to pay, right? So you're typically not gonna get a 775 or 750 tenant up to 1200 without improving the condition. And so, you know, just really kind of depends. Obviously we're always uh, up against that. We don't want to have an occupancy issue, right? So we want tenants in there making the mortgage, of course, the property be cash flowing. Uh, so we don't want to go in and kick all the tenants out and then, you know, have to renovate and be down for, for a while. So it's, yeah, it's very deal dependent for sure. So you mentioned you guys are closing on a property in Kentucky currently. I know you've got 280 units in eight different states now. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the value of having a diversified market approach um, when I guess like how that's changed as well since you got started. Like when should an investor look to start acquiring geographically disparate locations? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the really easy answer there is if I think a lot of people uh, that are probably listening to this live in a high cost of living area. And so you're just you're gonna have a hard time finding deals that make sense, right? And so I got started in the Great Recession. And so almost like anything made sense, even though I was based in Seattle, right? Um, and so it made sense to logically buy in my backyard because I could find deals, you know, that made sense. Um, but I, I would say like the market really shifted in 2015. And, and again, that's when we decided like, okay, we either change our criteria uh, or we, you know, basically go into other markets. And so um, the location diversification thing, though, I think it's really important. You know, I think as we've seen, especially right now in the re in the recession and like what happened in COVID, I think if anything, we've learned the lesson that we should have some location diversification within our portfolio, right? So in some markets, for example, we weren't able to increase rents. In uh, other markets, so like in Washington, Washington had a moratorium, like we could not raise rents for I think almost uh, maybe 18 months in the state of Washington. However, every other state that we own properties in, we were able to increase rents, right? And so the question is, you know, that you asked is when. Um, 
in my opinion, I think investors should be doing that right out of the gate, yeah. right? Is like, you should be thinking like, look, uh, of course, I'm now of the opinion that every investor should start with an eightplex, right? So just like skip the residential properties, go to an eightplex, um, and then just kind of scale up from there. But yeah, I think it's important, you know, some of the markets that I'm in are more appreciation, right? So I've got still, I think like eight properties left in Washington. I've got a property in, uh, you know, Boise, Idaho. Those are like my appreciation plays. Uh, I've got an apartment complex in Irving, Texas. That's again, a little bit more of an appreciation play. So I've got, you know, that, I guess, get game <laughs> running, that play running. And then a lot of my other apartments, um, you know, they're mostly cash flow. Right. We're going we're gonna to get appreciation based on our value add strategy, but, you know, the cash and cash return is fantastic. So I think investors need to be thinking about that for sure. What What do you think are like the bare minimum or like the, the absolutely uh, necessary pieces that you need to have in place if you're acquiring your first out of state um, property? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is you really need to know about the neighborhood that you're investing in. Right. So if you're, you know, a lot of times, again, we're buying in cities that we've never been to with people we've never met in areas that we know nothing about. Right. And so how we do that, though, is we get a lot of data. Right. So I look at is the population growing or declining? What are the job opportunities in this market? What is the residential market doing? Right. Like, are the houses $50,000 each or are they, you know, $300,000 to get into an entry level home into this market, right? So a lot of things like that. Um, we talked to the local commercial agents, right? We also talked to probably like four property managers. And if everyone is telling us the same thing, like, yeah, this is a really desirable area to be in. We've got a lack of housing, rents are on the rise, you know, all, all of that, then that's a green light for us. And then of course we'll go into like the due diligence stage, uh, which would be, you know, like doing a lease audit, like getting full exterior photos, full interior photos, going through all the financials, all of that, right? So I think um, the biggest advice I would give is, is again, yeah, like really know the neighborhood and the area that you're investing in, get confirmation from more people than just the agent, because the agent's always gonna present like a rosy <laughs> picture about the deal. Uh, and then number three would be, yeah, follow like a due diligence checklist and make sure that you're just getting all of the detail on that deal so you're not missing something yeah for sure i am um, i'm in a an interesting position i think and i just want to share this hopefully it will be relevant to to some listeners because um i think like many of my listeners i am looking to jump into um to real estate as soon as possible and part of my approach uh, I mean, it's a multi-pronged strategy. I'm, I'm ramping up my own learning as I kind of go along. I'm reading, I'm interacting with, with agents here and there, kind of digging into the MLS uh, here and there to, to just to learn um, while simultaneously kind of building out my, my team or my network um, mm -hmm. of people that know more than I do about real estate and, um, you know, surrounding myself with, with, with those people, mentors, um, I have an agent. I have a lender um, that I'm, I'm assembling around me on my team. And my approach is and will be, um, I think at this point, I so I heard about this this new thing um, and I don't know if it's actually come to fruition yet, um, a 0% down loan. I think Bank of, Bank of America is either offering that or will be. Um, so I'm wondering if you've heard of that. And then my plan at this point, I'm just gonna take my 401k um, and try to cash out and you, you use that as my down payment, um, as well as, you know, for any 
uh, capital expenditures that are needed for, for my first property. That's kind of my thought process going in um, yeah. as a new investor, but any thoughts on Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the Bank of America loan, I've heard about that. I believe it's for owner occupants. I don't know that it, it's, a, yeah. Okay. So that's what you're looking to do. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how my husband and I got started is basically we would buy property zero down because back, you know, back then you can get zero down loans and I'm glad to hear that they're coming back. We live there for a year and then we move out and put tenants in, right? So yeah. love that strategy, Michael. I think you're on like <laughs> the right path there. I think that that's fantastic. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can get creative to find the funding for deals. Um, so yeah, you had mentioned your 401k, uh, you know, just make sure that you know, like what you'd be paying there as far as pulling that money out. Um, the way that I see it, those two, that there's like three different ways that you can use other people's money as well. You know, number one is you can have somebody be your private lender, right? And they can be essentially the bank fund the deal for you. If you're buying a value add deal and they fund it and basically, you know, you can go in and refinance it after you've added the value, you own it hundred percent and they made interest and got paid back, right? So that's a fantastic way to get started. Uh, another option is you could do a JV partnership. So if you find the deal and, you know, basically you kind of control the deal, you can bring in other people who have the money for the down payment, go get a commercial loan, set up an entity, super easy to do that. Uh, and then option number three is the private placement, right? So that's basically a pooling of investors money. You can get multiple investors putting their money in, you control the deal, and then it's just a split of the equity and the cash flow. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different creative ways you can do it. If you already own smaller properties and you want to get into like the next level and scale up, you could do 1031 exchange. You know, so all those little properties that we started with, uh, you know, over the years, we've 1031 them into apartment complexes. And, you know, essentially it's like, you know, no money down, I guess, if you will. It's just trading one property for a bigger property. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so I know you also use a, a multitude of different approaches with your portfolio. You mentioned the, the BRRR, um, value add multifamily, build to rent, and then out of state investing. Can you kind of yeah. just briefly go over what each of these is and how they work together? Yeah, yeah. So as mentioned, so BRRR stands for buy, renovate, rent, and refinance. Um, okay. It works really well for, I would say, any type of property that you buy under value, where you're going to be adding value and then refinancing it. On the residential side though, you need to make sure that you have comparable sold properties in order to get that new appraised value, right? So again, you need to have comps that support the value in order to get all your money back, right? And then on the commercial side, it's great because basically you can use an exit cap rate. And so basically you can kind of like put it in uh, to the deal analyzer and say like, okay, look, rents are 700. I'm going to get them to 12. It's going to cost me, I don't know, hundred grand to get there, right? In terms of like unit condition improvements, I can get there in 12 months. Now the property is going to be worth this based on whatever cap rate is in the area. And then you can do a refinance and, you know, again, like get your money back that way. Um, so that's pretty much what the Burr strategy is. Um, so build to rent, so as mentioned, you know, we got started uh, early on, we were doing spec home building, we were also building small multifamily. Um, I think that there's a huge opportunity right now to get into build to rent. So essentially, instead of building spec homes and selling them, you could build, you know, duplexes or even single family homes that work just as fine as well. Um, but yeah, so basically you build it, you get some tenants in there, and then you refinance it. And if you're all in somewhere in like the 75, 70, 75 uh, loan to cost, you can refinance, get all your money back, and then you have a brand new building. So we had done that quite a bit in Seattle. It worked really, really well. 
um, was able to build just a ton of equity. The last duplex we built, I think we were all in for like 350, which included the land, because we got the land uh, really inexpensive. Uh, and it appraised immediately after we were done for like 670. So massive, massive. And we had a brand new building. So <laughs> always works when you do that. Um, and then out of state, yeah. I mean, again, you know, I think if you're living in a high cost of living area or the deals just don't make sense locally and, and or you want more cash flow, um, I think it really makes sense to go looking into other markets, build that location diversification, work with a local team that's already sourcing deals, property managers. Um, our property managers do all of our project management. So we're not flying out to these areas and like overseeing the renovations. They're basically doing that for us. Um, right. And then just sending us photos every week. So yeah, those are a couple of different strategies that you can consider for sure. Amazing. What you look at as kind of the biggest opportunity in this changing marketplace um, and you mm -hmm. can speak either locally I know we are both um, in the in the Phoenix Arizona area or nationally what what are some of the things you're thinking about or seeing or are most excited about yeah um, I this is probably the most attractive market for people that are getting in uh, that I've seen maybe the last five years uh, and so what that, uh, what that means is basically there's more opportunities coming available and you can go in and get creative financing. So, uh, I'll just give you an example. I think in the last, well, this week, today is Thursday, this week I've written an offer on a 48 unit, a 20 unit, a 16 unit, a 24 unit, and then, oh, and then there was another 20 unit in Tennessee. So five, five different deals, right? Every single one of them, I, I gave the sellers uh, basically two or three options. One included me going to get financing and then the other one with them financing, right? And so a lot of sellers are considering that right now, especially if we're getting a lot of uh, retired sellers, like they're, they're wanting to go into retirement um, and they, they, they don't want to miss out on that income stream, right? So they got into rentals because they wanted the, the passive income and the income stream. And so when they own or finance, they get some, some tax benefits and then they continue to get that monthly income stream coming in. So a lot of opportunity for newer investors again to like get in right now. Um, I'm also seeing some really good deals. So in all of those five deals, uh, we're coming in like under asking price, right? Uh, and then a lot of those rents are, are, are low. These sellers have owned the properties for a number of years and they haven't improved the rents. So we can come in, still be, you know, we aim to be, I would say like 90% of fair market rents so that we don't have, you know, a, an occupancy issue, uh, but we can still cash flow really, really well. It, like instant double digit cash flow really well on these kinds of deals. Um, so I would say that that's the opportunity. The opportunity is just to get in. Um, I think the media is telling us we should all be scared and we should all be, I don't know, doing nothing right now, like waiting for the interest rates to drop, I guess. I, I don't know what their, I don't know what their, their, their suggestion is, but they're definitely trying to scare us right into thinking that everything is going to crash. Um, so there is a bit of a silver lining. Yes, the interest rates have gone up significantly. Actually, I think more so in the last what, like eight months than have in the history of interest rates that they've been tracking um, as far as the, you know, the difference in the interest rate. Um, yeah. But in doing so, they took about a million would-be first-time home buyers out of the buyer pool, put them back into the renter pool. So we have a lot more renters these days. Everyone is looking for like nice, affordable housing. Um, and so if you own it, you can benefit from that. Um, the other thing to consider though, too, is we're actually still in negative interest rates. And it's really interesting. So when inflation's at say 10% and the interest rates are seven, we're still at a negative 3% interest rate. 
And then the other, like the beauty of uh, leverage as it relates to investment real estate is we don't even pay our own debts, right? So we're able to get between 75 to 80% of the purchase price. The bank is paying that for us, right? So we really only have to have 20 to 25% to like bring to the closing table. Um, and then the tenants pay for the debt anyway, right? So they're paying that monthly mortgage down. And uh, so anyways, I think it's just a change in, in uh, perception that people need to have as we're going into this, you know, recession or whatever economic cycle we're in. Right, right. I mean, there's never there's never a wrong time or a bad time no. in, my, in my view to get started in your investing journey and to start acquiring assets to offset your expenses. I mean, that's what this is all about. For freedom seekers and for me personally, um, can you talk about what you are currently working on with your clients? I know you've got your company addicted to ROI. Just talk yeah. a little bit about how that works. Yeah, for sure. So uh, during COVID, it was really interesting. We used to host a local meetup in Seattle and we had just a really great group. And then, you know, that shut down pretty much overnight. Uh, we used to get like a hundred people in and there's a lot of people and it was a lot of energy. It was really great. And so we really enjoyed doing that and, and we got shut down. And so I had a lot of people coming to me, they're like, hey, like, I feel like there's a lot of uh, opportunities now with COVID, like, how can we get into this? And so we started a mastermind group, it's called the ROI Inner Circle. We have about 400 members now all across the United States and everyone is doing basically what I just described to you, uh, buying you know, multifamily properties, a lot of times in markets in not their own backyard, right? Markets across the country. Um, and so we're just having an awesome time doing that. So it's really fun for me to see other people get started. Like I think I get, more excited about other people's deals than I do even my own these days. Um, and so that's really cool. And then the other thing that I'm working on, I started this project in March. Um, this came from the challenges that I continue to hear from investors, hundreds of investors that I work with, uh, is like, you know, really getting some clear data on neighborhoods and like demographics and economics. And truly I used to publish a crime map and then that went away. And so it's kind of like, and the agents are a bit, their hands are tied as far as like what they can say about these neighborhoods. And so I started a software company, it's called Door Profit. We should be launching by the end of the year. Uh, we've been building some really cool tools and I, I'm not, not, I have no tech background at all. So I have an amazing business partner that is uh, the developer. And so we've got a crime map. We have a feature that should be done in a couple of weeks where you can analyze any deal in the United States. It's gonna give you a crime rating. It's gonna give you a rent estimate. And it's basically gonna tell you like, is this a good deal for you or not? Um, so we're super stoked about that. I just wanna have greater impact uh, you know, on this community that I'm really passionate about seeing people start taking back control of their time and their freedom. Uh, the vehicle in which we do that, of course, in my world is investment properties. And so I just want to see more people get in and just make it easier. So that's that's been a fun project for sure. Wow, that's amazing. I look forward to, to uh, seeing that conversation. And, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so this has been a great conversation. I know we could go on and on. Um, just a quick message. Uh, I guess from from both of us to leave listeners with guys, um, you know, there are so many ways to to make money and to push forth toward your financial freedom. But the value of hard assets in this increasingly digital world really can't be overstated um, to, to own things that you can put your hands on and that will be there for you. Um, uh, 
giving you that cash flow, you know, day after day or week after week, every month um, is, is really, really critical and important. And real estate is such a great vehicle to do that. That's why I'm so excited to get off and running with my personal real estate journey. Um, Jennifer, what would you add to that? Um, just any takeaways that you want to leave people with today? Yeah, um, so we didn't even get to the tax benefits of real estate, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, but I would just say like ditto to everything you just said, right? So I think, um, you know, a lot of people are out there in the grind working nine to five and like really just trying to focus on making an income. And I think that that's really important. Um, however, I will say the income won't make you wealthy, right? And so to your point, having, in so again, like in my world, that's income producing assets in the form of real estate where, you know, you can get high leverage, but you can still get a lot of cash flow. Your cash on cash return is fantastic. And then you're gonna be able to write off between, I would say like 20 to 30% of the purchase price in year one with cost segregation and depreciation. So in my world, a win is when you have active income and it could be, you know, whatever it is, but then you have these income producing assets that are this like, you know, monthly recurring revenue that's coming in every single month, but you're gonna take a tax loss. Right. And so when your tax loss is equivalent to your active income, you have an effective 0% tax rate. Right. So again, my opinion, greatest asset to own in the world, greatest country in the world to own it. And so I'm just, yeah, I'm blessed and, and love what I do and hope that you all take some inspiration from this and get started. I love it. Uh, where can people go to connect with you and find you online, Jennifer? Yeah, you can go to addicted to ROI.com. Awesome. Hey guys, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to rate, review, comment, and share. Everything helps. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things and hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you and that's it. I will see you in the next episode.